Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse's out today, but I have my very good friend, Steve Ray, CatholicConvert.com. Check him out. Steve, welcome again to the Terry and Jesse Show, brother. Thank you, Terry. Hey, I... The time people say that we could be brothers. Oh, yeah, they always say that. We have the same barber shop, and I, <laughs> I get people to say it all the time when I'm somewhere. Hey, I see you. You're, you're the guy that goes to um, the Holy Land. I said, no, that's my other brother, Steve Ray. <laughs> Steve, this topic of the precious blood, we're in the month of July, and every month the church has something to focus on. And um, I know you did a lot of homework on this topic, on the origins of the precious blood devotion. Uh, using the fathers of the church, the Bible, popes. I mean, this is a crash course on having devotion to the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So let's get into it, my friend. Okay. I want to cover uh, the biblical basis for it, the mm -hmm. fathers of the church, yeah. um, and a, a lot of things. But it's um, it it starts out, I want to bring out three, uh, four ba uh, biblical passages where we see this. Okay. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Mm -hmm. The bread which we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. And with this word participation, fellowship, it means that we're actually communing with the blood of Christ. I remember, Terry, when I was a Protestant Baptist, mm -hmm. I can still see my dad and hear my dad singing. My dad used to, he was a convert to the Baptist church. Okay. And he loved the good old hymns, and he would dealt them <laughs> out on Sunday. And were the ones that I remember him. Uh, first one I learned to play on my harmonica when I was a boy. Uh -huh. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we talked about the blood, and we knew that it was the blood of Jesus that had washed us from our sins and paid the penalty for our our uh, rebellion against God, but we didn't have the blood in a sense because it was uh, we that was two thousand years ago. But as Catholics, I realized we have the blood. Yep. <laughs> Not only was it two thousand years ago, but it's there for us again on the altar, and we are participating in the blood of Christ. Now Ephesians. 2.13, yep. but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. This is all Old Testament illusions. You can't understand what it's talking about unless you understand the Old Testament. We'll get into that in a minute. And then Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without blemish to God, purify us instead of the blood of animals, goats and bulls and sheep? And here's where the very phrase precious blood comes from. First Peter 1.19, we were saved with the precious blood of Christ, like mm -hmm. that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Mm -hmm. And I, when we have mass, yeah. uh, this is one of my favorite things when I do. I give a talk now. I uh, came up with a new talk called, Is the Mass Really a Sacrifice? And one of the things I mention is that when Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, how many people ever stop and say, well, what is the blood of the old covenant? Mm -hmm. So if there's the blood of the new and his is the blood of the new, it's based on something from the Old Testament, which is the blood of the old covenant. And this is so interesting, Terry, when it says that Moses and Sinai in Exodus 24, 8, he had all of the people gathered together and they brought the bulls. Yep. Have you ever messed around with a bull? I never have, and I probably never will. They're mean. That's my They're point. They're mean yeah. and powerful. They're like muscles of steel. They weigh a ton each yeah. or more. Mm -hmm. And it says that they brought the bulls 
into the congregation of the people and they put the blood of the bulls in the blood of the bulls into bowls. Okay. Now say that 10 times fast, the blood of the bulls into bowls. <laughs> now, I, I, so I asked myself, these are the kind of questions I ask myself when I read the Bible. How do you get the blood of bulls into bowls? So you have to kill those bulls right in front of everybody. Yep. You have to then lift that bull up so that the blood will drain. They cut the throat. And then they'd have to lift the whole back end up to drain the blood out of the neck into the bulls. They had to be big bulls. Yeah. And then it says that Moses took the blood of the bulls and he splashed it on the people. Well, I have I was on a farm when I grew up, and I know what it's like to kill an animal. The blood, as soon as it comes out of the animal, turns into clots, snotty, clumpy clots. It stinks, it's sticky, and the flies come immediately. So here you have these guys dragging these bulls through the people. You know, you can hear them bellowing and kicking, and they're dragging them up there. And, you know, in Catholic churches, all the people always want to sit on the aisles, you know. Yeah. But if you if you did this, there would be nobody sitting on the aisles. No. They would not want to be where that blood and the bulls, and then there's excrement. They're cutting the bulls open intestines. you got to deal with yeah. and everything else. And then they cut these bulls up, and they put the blood of bulls into bulls, and then Moses goes and splatters that blood all over the people. Mm -hmm. Blood clots, sticky, nasty blood clots, and they go home, they live in a tent, they don't have a shower, and they don't have a washing machine. This was the blood of the first covenant. Now we're talking about the blood of Jesus' blood of the new covenant. It's much more powerful and much cleaner, you could say, too, because it's a bloodless sacrifice, although it does become the blood of Christ. But just imagine having that blood splattered all over. <laughs> and uh, the deacons today, they're really lucky. When they have to clean up after Mass, yeah. it's a whole lot easier than it was cleaning up after the service <laughs> in the old days. But anyway, so that this is where it comes from, the whole idea of blood. When, when uh, Noah came off the ark, uh, God said that any animal that kills a man or any man that kills a man by his blood shall, right. by man's blood, it shall be shed because the life is in the blood. Mm -hmm. The life, you drain the blood out of somebody and their life is gone. Imagine the blood running through Jesus's veins. Here you've got the second person of the Trinity. He's yeah. God in the flesh. This is divine blood. It's the blood of God. How much how valuable, yeah. inestimable value is one drop of the blood of God, more than all of the bulls of bull's blood that you could ever gather, yeah. because this is the blood of God, and he was innocent of any crime, and that blood is there to forgive us our sins. He came and shed his blood. And by the way, he shed his blood for us long before he ever got on the cross. He shed his blood at eight days when he was circumcised. It was the first time he shed his blood for us. He shed his blood for us in Gethsemane when the sweat dropped from his head. He sweat. He shed his blood for us at the Antonia Fortress when he was whipped and beaten. And then he just spilled all of his blood for us on the cross. So that's kind of some of the the biblical, the precious, I love 1 Peter 1.19 because it actually says the precious blood of Christ. And that's the, that's how that feast got its name is the precious blood of Christ. I read back to Leviticus 17, for the life of every creature is in the blood. Yep. Therefore, I have said to the sons of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it will be cut off. Now we're told to drink the blood of Christ. Isn't that a violation of this. No, 
because here we're drinking something that is higher than us, not lower than us. It's higher than us. And we're actually, we are what we eat. When we eat the flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ, we become like him. So that's a little bit of the a biblical basis for it. All right. Well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, that is biblical. What about the fathers of the church, the early days of the church? What did they have to say about the precious blood? I love these guys. They made me Catholic. Yeah, I bet. Uh, a lot of people did. <laughs> Pope St. Clement I. Yeah. I think he's somewhere in the Middle Ages. He wasn't. He was oh, probably... Early. He was probably converted by Peter mm -hmm. and baptized in the Tiber River in Rome by Peter. He was the pope from roughly 60 to 96 was his <laughs> time period. And he wrote this. And he wrote this. You can still read his letters. It's called a letter to the Corinthians. And he wrote it before 100 A.D. Let us fix our gaze on the blood of Christ and realize how truly precious it is seeing that it was poured out for our salvation and brought the grace of conversion to the whole world. This is a first century Christian, wow. a convert of St. Peter's. Justin Martyr, he spilled his blood too. He had his head cut off. The um, governor said, deny your Christ. He said, I will not deny my Christ. He said, I can have you beaten. And Justin said, do whatever you will. He said, I can have your head cut off. Yeah. Justin says, I'm a Christian. Do whatever you will. Justin Martyr, a great apologist and defender of the faith, wrote around 155. He said, we have been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word in the mass mm -hmm. and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation, in other words, his blood and his flesh go into us and it, we're nourished by this, is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. In other words, when you partake of the Eucharist, these guys in the first century knew that when you partake of the Eucharist, it was his real flesh and his real blood. Steve, I know we can read your story of your conversion uh, in one of the books you've published, but just your first reaction when you started digging into the fathers of the church, did it stun you? Did it give you like, wait a minute? I mean, I didn't know this. I, I, I never studied the fathers. The two sides of that coin yeah. are at one side. It terrified me what they wrote. I imagine it would. Because I'd always been taught that the early Christians were Protestants, and they only got yeah. corrupted with Catholic ideas in the Middle Ages. But they were pure, pristine Protestant Christians when they came out of the gates, you know, out of the yeah. first century. Sure. And uh, that they didn't, they didn't have any of these Catholic ideas like the transubstantiation, veneration of Mary, yeah. papal authority, none of this. Sure. They were just simple Christians that sat around having Bible studies. But... The reality is when I started to read this, it yeah. terrified me. How come I'm a part of a group that does not believe what they believed? They were the very first ones. Where did the train fall off the track? <laughs> and I'm on, the, I'm on the train rolling down the hill. I want to get back on the real track. But So one at one side of the coin, Terry, it terrified us yeah. because our whole life for 40 years had been evangelical Protestant. And right. here I am now having to admit that all of that, I was misguided. Yeah, and yeah. I had to rethink everything. But at the same time, it was thrilling. I bet. Uh, Steve Ray's my guest on the Terry and Jesse show. We're talking about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Stay with us, family. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess is out of town today, but my good friend Steve Ray, CatholicConvert.com is his website. Steve, 
I, I love promoting what you're doing. So please take a minute and tell our listeners how they can participate in going to the Holy Land and other sacred sites. And, and where are you going? You know, is there room on their next bus for those who are listening? Well, we're going to Poland the first week of uh, August, and that is the land of the modern saints, John Paul II, Maria Faustina, Maximilian Kolbe. We follow all of them. We even go to Auschwitz, and we see where Maximilian Kolbe died in the cell, starvation cell, where he gave his life. And it's really a powerful trip. But I took Al Cresta to the Holy Land, St. Paul Cruz, and Poland. He said Poland was his favorite one had the biggest impact and so we're doing that in august we still have four trips to israel this year and um, most of those are sold out already but there are a few seats left on one or two of the buses and we've got seven trips to the holy land next year already filling up quick our trips usually sell up six months in advance and we have um we're going on a saint paul cruise next year and also to Jordan and Israel, a combo. That's a lot of people want to do that. It's a little longer and a little more money, but th- to see both parts of the Holy Land, Jordan and Israel. And we're going to do Holy Land Part 2 for people who have gone to Part 1 and wanted to see all new sites. We're going to do that. And uh, we're going to go to Italy on the, in 2025 for the Jubilee year, and it looks like we're going to be able to see the Shroud again. So awesome. that's it's called the Saints and Shrines of Italy. So catholicconvert.com. There's a big pilgrimage banner. Click on that, and it shows you all the upcoming ones. But also, for the last 15 years, you can go back and watch a two-hour video of every pilgrimage <laughs> we've taken. Incredible. Now, we're talking about the precious blood because the month of July is dedicated to the precious blood of Christ. You quoted some fathers of the church. I think you've got a couple more uh, you can yeah. quote. Go ahead, Steve. Well, the fathers of the church also taught that the church, there, there's two times where we believe that the church was born. Yeah. Once is at Pentecost, we call that the birthday of the church. Mm-hmm. And and it is, it's when it's when the church was born, the new, first new believers came out and so on. But there's also another point where it, it was born with the blood of Christ. And that is when Jesus died on the cross, he pierced his, they pierced his side and blood and water came out. And just think Mary and John were probably close enough to be splashed with the blood and the water from Jesus' side. At least Longinus, the centurion, the uh, soldier was for sure. Mm-hmm. And what the beauty of this is, is Jesus was crucified in a garden. It says that specifically in John's gospel, that the tomb and the cross were in a garden. John wants you to know that. So you think about gardens. Where was the first garden? What, oh, yeah. The first garden, Adam needed a bride. So God put him to sleep in a garden, cut open his side, took part of his body out, fashioned it into a bride. Adam woke up and said, oh, my goodness, my bride, is she ever beautiful? Mm-hmm. First poetry, bride of woman of man. You know what it is. I, my mind went blank for a second. And then so now we're in another garden and the new Adam, which is yep. Jesus, mm-hmm. needs a bride. So his father, God, puts him to sleep in a garden, cuts open part of his side on a cross, takes the blood and water, which are the sacraments of Eucharist and baptism, the initiation into the church, and he fashions from the blood and water a bride for his son. Jesus wakes up at the resurrection and he loves his church. So here you see the blood of Jesus that comes out of his side with the water, and that is gives birth to the church. It's It's that royal life-giving blood of Jesus, the blood of God, so to speak. And right. he, because of that, it gives birth to the, uh, to, the, to the church. 
So that's really a fantastic way to think about it as well. Awesome. Well, Steve, uh, the early fathers say the church was born, like you said, from the first sight of Christ, and the sacraments were brought forth through his blood. If we really realize when we go to confession, Steve, and this is what Bishop Sheen taught me, that when the priest absolves us of our sins, it's really Jesus Christ, but it's the precious blood that's dripping from his hands. That's a real powerful visual, is it not? It is. It's the priest can't forgive our sins. No. The priest, he he's just a man, but he shares. God, Jesus is so generous. He lets the priest share in his priesthood, and he speaks through the priest. Right. And what is the basis for our forgiveness? Well, yes, it's the word of the priest in persona Christi, yes. but it's the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. Mm-hmm. His blood paid for our sins. So when we go to ma- uh, to confession, yes. I, I absolutely, we've got to think of Jesus on the cross, and he took the penalty that was due for us. Yes. I get it pretty darn easy. I go there, and he gives me penance. I have to say the Hail Mary ten times. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus is the one that really paid the price for our sins, and we should remember that. And every time I'm done with confession, I also say to the priest two things. I say, thank you for those lovely words you just said to me and thank you for being a priest and spending part of your saturday here hearing all of my sins yes well said we all should be that way can we move into the current times because i got time for that of what pope pius the 11th or 9th i should say yeah he's the one that instituted the feast in 1849 that's a long time the precious blood of our lord i'll just read this paragraph about it pius the 11th 11th was an exile in rome in 1849 his friend Father Malini, this priestly, uh, saintly priest, suggested that the Pope make a vow to give it to the feast of the precious blood to the entire church. It would regain papal territory. Now, at that point, they were out of Rome, and right. they they were trying to regain the uh, temp- uh, the territory for the Vatican. Without binding himself to the vow, the Pope immediately extended the feast to the whole church. Everybody has celebrated the precious blood from the beginning, Terry, because even the Bible says the precious blood of Christ. So we've all celebrated it. We've all loved it. We've all been grateful for it. Uh, But this is now being a feast that's extended to the whole church. So on the old calendar, it was celebrated on July 1st. But Catholics continue increasing the devotion. And now it's for the whole month of July, just like the month of June was the sacred heart of Jesus. July is the blood of Christ, and then August is the sacred heart, the immaculate heart of Mary. So this was then extended to the whole church uh, by Pius IX in 1849. Now, I like what you talk about with typologies, types of Christ from the Old Testament passages. Yeah. And let's talk about some of that now with the word blood. You know, it's used so many times in the Bible. Can we talk about that now? Yep, the word blood, by the way, if you think it's not important in the Bible, the word blood is used over 450 times. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of times to be used in the Bible. Well, in the typology, um, the blood and water from the side of Christ, we just talked about how that was giving birth to the church. Right. But also back in Adam and Eve, if you think about it, they, they caught, had sin and an animal had to die. Right. An animal had to have his blood shed, probably a lamb. Mm-hmm. And we know that uh, Abel also offered animals a sacrifice. And so Adam and Eve, I, I like to, do, to say it this way. They went out and they sinned and they said, oh, oh, we don't have any pants on. We're naked. So they went and they found some leaves. And I always ask people, what kind of leaves? 
They all say, well, fig leaves, I think. I said, yes. Why not banana leaves? They're much bigger. You know, you could have made it much longer clothes. But they were fig leaves. So I looked up fig trees. Why would it specifically say a fig? Not just leaves, but fig leaves. And I found out that figs, the leaves, have a chemical in them that causes severe rash on your skin, dermatitis and itching and a, and a bad wow. burn actually, it can wow. burn human skin. So can you imagine all those sensitive areas around the groin, they go and they make these pants out of these uh, fig leaves yeah. and all of a sudden they get a rash and they've got itches everywhere and God comes walking in the cool of the evening and said, Adam and Eve, where are you? And we're in the bushes scratching. But but there's a there's a method, and then God has to kill an animal. An animal died. Right in chapter three of Genesis, this whole thing begins with the blood and the sacrifice. The animal had to die, an innocent animal, to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. And so this is where it all begins. We see the beginning of sacrifice. Now there's a lesson to be learned in there, and it goes back to confession. If we try to con- cover our own sins, like with fig leaves, we only make the matter worse. That those fig leaves only made it worse. They got itches and scratching, and but God has made a way for us through the priests and through the confession in the church to deal with our sins. So that goes back to Adam and Eve. Now also we have the Passover lamb is interesting because, you know, we say at Mass, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and without the Old Testament, those words are total nonsense. That's right. What does a lamb have to do with my sins? What does it have to do with me? I don't even own a lamb. So... But what we have there with the lamb is that um, when the Israelites were in in Egypt, they had to escape. They had to kill a Passover lamb and put the blood on the frame of the house, on the vertical and horizontal beams of the doorway. And when the angel of death flew over to kill the firstborn of Egypt, it saw the blood. It knew that that was an Israelite family, and he passed over that house. That's how it's called a Passover lamb, because they would pass over that house. Now, where was the blood? It was on vertical and horizontal beams of the wood. That's the Old Testament. Where is the blood of the Passover lamb today? It's still on vertical and horizontal beams of the wood, but it's the cross. And Jesus is our Passover lamb. So you see the Old and New Testament, they fit together. You can't have one really without the other because the Old Testament is a foundation for the New Testament. Without it, we we would be blindsided. Well said. You know, Leviticus is one of those books that um, some people say, well, man, that's a tough book to read. But you quote Leviticus 17, verse 11, regarding the blood. Can you talk about that, please? Yes, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. In other words, you just have a picture here of the animal has its life is the blood. You take the blood out, the animal dies. So you take the blood out and the blood then, an animal dies and the blood is applied to us so that we can live. We are the recipients of that life that was in that blood. And it saves us, it's atonement for our sins. Jesus, even much more so, because animals could only make atonement. It was only... It, it didn't really remove the sins. It covered them in a way, but with the blood of Christ, it actually washes away those sins. And you don't have to keep killing an animal over and over and over again. It was one sacrifice of Jesus, and that blood then takes care of our sins, of all the sins of the world. And it also, though, is done every day because we have the Mass, which is a representation. In other words, how can 
we'll do this real quick. In the mass, people, I used to say, why do you crucify Christ over and over again? You say that's a whole sacrifice of the mass. You're sacrificing Christ over and over again on your altars. That's a sacrilege, you Catholics, I used to say. He died four times in the Bible. It says he died once and for all for our sins. Not over and over and over again on your altars. But what happens is God created space and time like a big bubble. And he's outside of space and time. And he came bloop into the bubble, walked around, died, shed his blood for our sins, and then bloop back out of the bubble into eternity again. Now, what is the mass? The mass is, is the sacrifice of Christ is ever before the throne of God. It says in Revelation 5, 5, that on an altar before the throne of God is a lamb standing, yet those slain. Wow. There's a the Passover lamb. When God wakes up in the morning and wipes his eyes and gets his first cup of coffee, what does he see? He sees the sacrifice of the lamb right in front of him all through eternity. That is an eternal event to him. And when the mass takes place, that eternal event comes back down into space and time. We partake of it. It's not another sacrifice. It is the one sacrifice of Christ represented. Amen. We'll be back with more with Steve Ray on the Terry and Jesse Show. Stay. There it is, Steve Ray with the beautiful image of the lamb on the altar. Steve, you got me excited. That, that We were interrupted by the break because when I was 14 years old, a youngster trying to study my Baltimore catechism, and I listened to a Bishop Sheen priest retreat, and it got me fired up about the Mass that we're present at that one eternal sacrifice, that we're not re-crucifying, just what you said. But after I understood all of that, it got me 50-some years ago to go to daily Mass, and I've been doing it for over 50 years. And I think of what a great blessing it is to understand the Mass. I think if more Catholics understood the Eucharist and the Mass, uh, we would have uh, the world converted. So that's my take on that, brother. Well, I agree. Uh, absolutely. People say that I'm not being fed. Well, yes, you are. You're being fed the body and blood of Christ. <laughs> but they're not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah. I have often said that the mass yes. is not a spectator sport. You don't go sit in the bleachers and watch it. The mass is a participation sport. You're involved. And if you're not sweaty and black and blue when you leave a mass, you haven't played. You have Those are prayers are our prayers. Amen. The amen and is, is saying we agree with this. Everything in the Mass is so significant. I, I just play off one more the sure. point about it being not a new sacrifice right. every day. It's like the sun. And in the old days, I used to think the sun died at night and a new sun was born in the morning. And the sun would race across the sky and it would burn out and it would die. And then a new sun would be born in the morning. But when we got in the space shuttle, we went out and we saw that the sun is always there. It's it's eternally there. It doesn't go away. And it's not a new sun every morning. It's the same eternal sun every morning. It just represents itself to us. And that's just like that is the sacrifice of Christ. The S-O-N sun right. is not a new sacrifice. He's the eternal sacrifice that every morning it represents itself to us. The same sacrifice because it's eternal and it is the medicine of immortality and the food by which we gain eternal life. And so if people understood that, you're absolutely correct. They would be much more thrilled about going to the Mass. Oh, yeah. Steve, that analogy of the sun is a beautiful analogy. I'm Here I am, 66 years old, never heard that analogy. But this is what I love about my Catholic faith. I'm always learning. Oh, of course. 
This when I was a Protestant, yeah. I said, you know, we live in a, a very big pond. Yeah, it's really a big pond, but it's only about four inches deep, and you have to keep splashing to get wet. But with the Catholic Church, it's a big ocean. Yeah, and it's not you just get in it and all you you sink down into it. It's, yeah, it, there's unfathomable. You can never you cannot exhaust it. Why? Because it is Christ. It's the body of Christ. Wow. It's a divine institution. You know, Steve, you quoted the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2260. What does that say? It says the Old Testament. And here we see again the need for the Old Testament. Hmm. Catholics tend not to like the Old Testament. Ah, they should. Because it has names like Zerubbabel and Hezekiah and all these hard. And it's about this thick, yeah. whereas the New Testament's only about this thick. That's right. And it talks about love and Jesus and all these things. Okay, so people tend to like the New. But I give an example. If, say, you were having a birthday party and you brought pizzas for everybody, and at the end of the party there was some pizza left over, so you put it away for next year's pizza party, and uh, when that comes along, you also go buy a bunch of new pizzas, and you put the old pizza on one table and the new pizza on another table. What pizza are people going to eat? They're not going to eat the old pizza from last year. So that's how Catholics think of the Old Testament. Why would I want the old when I can have the new? But the fact is, is that it's one revelation of God. And the Old Testament is like the foundation. So this paragraph says the Old Testament, what lays the foundation for everything, always considered blood a sacred sign of life, all the way back from the very beginning. Even back to Noah, where he said, if anybody, any blood is shed by man's blood, shall is be shed. And an animal or a human being. That was a, the, the church has always taught that capital punishment was a legitimate form of punishment and for the crime it, and not to be done lightly. Um, but, but it always has. The tradition of the church has always held that to be the case. And so the Old Testament always considered blood to be a sacred sign of life. So that, that continues. The catechism said this teaching doesn't remain in the Old Testament it remains necessary for all of time that the blood is sacred sign of life. So when Jesus came and gave his blood for us, it's a sacred sign that he actually gave his life in, in, in substitute for us. You can say he gave his life and shed his blood in our, on our behalf to make atonement and wash away our sins. Like I used to sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus and the precious blood of Jesus, as Peter says. Steve, one of the things that I have found when I talk to my separated brethren, that when I talk about the precious blood of Christ, you know, um, saving me from, the, you know, from sin, they seem to be more open to when I talk about the precious blood. Is that just because most Protestants take that as... Um, something that is important to them. Yes. Yes. Well, when you when you start talking about the precious blood of Christ, you're you're speaking in language they understand. What I thought. Yeah. If you see, here's the thing: we as Catholics have our own language, yeah. our own jargon. We have our own terminology for everything. Sure. We venerate. We have a mass. No, nobody knows what mass means, but we have a mass. We have all the, the Catholic words. We have our own subculture, so to speak. Yeah. And Protestants, they have Christianese. They speak their own language called Christianese. And if I, I know if I want to relate to a Protestant, yeah, that's I right. know how to do it because I know that language. Yep. And if I speak their language and use phrases and cliches and jargon, and that's not negative, I mean, it's that they use and understand, they're going to relate to me a whole lot more. 
Steve, we got one more segment for this show. Do you think we can move to the New Testament passages and get through that? Because yeah, I think this is we covered them a little bit, but we can go back and um, well, and hit them again. Yeah, when I'm talking about the upper room, that kind of the um, when did Jesus first spill his blood? I know you talked a little bit about circumcision, but it's I, I think it's important that we Catholics understand the fulfillment of the old is in the new. Yes, absolutely. Without the new, without the Old Testament, the New Testament, right. we can't really understand it. So if you uh, go from Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, yeah. by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So in other words, the, the blood of a man is the penalty for, if you kill a man, the penalty from the time of Noah was that you also had to give your life. You had to shed right. your blood. And then that plays right out into first John in the new Testament said, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Just like the, the blood as a penalty in the old Testament was the penalty for taking a life or so on in the new Testament, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. His blood is far more powerful. And it not only, and the interesting thing is, Terry, is if as Protestants, we used to use the example, a forensic legal kind of example, that if I'm in prison for killing someone and I'm going to, I got the life sentence, so I'm going to spend my life in prison. And you come along and say, Steve, you know, you're really a good guy. And I know you have a family. I'll take your place. And so then you go into prison and become the prisoner. And I get to go out because you swapped with me. You switched with me. Okay. You took my penalty upon yourself. And I'm now released from that penalty. It's kind of a, it's, that's not the full picture of what Christ did, but it kind of gives us an idea. And, but in that case, you could only give your life in exchange for one person. Right. You, you, you can't, you can't go into that prison and say, look at, I'd like to, you to let three guys go and I'll take their place. No, you can work that one way. guy. Well, you have one life to give for yep. one other life. Now, what Jesus, though, why could he do it? Because he is the eternal son of God. He is the eternal son of man. He is God. Therefore, his blood has inestimable value. Not only can it wash away every sin, but it can save every single person. Not everybody's going to accept that salvation, but it's going to, his blood is available because he is eternal. Just think of the value of one drop of God's blood. The value of one drop of that blood, which is why, by the way, at mass, if a drop of the consecrated host falls on the ground, everybody has almost goes into panic mode because it is a drop of the blood of Christ Amen. and it is infinitely valuable. And we drink that. That's right. In the old Testament, Moses splashed the blood on people today. It's distributed not by splashing the blood on people, but we all partake of it inside because we are becoming partakers of the divine nature we are what we eat when we partake of the body and blood of christ we become like him well said when we come back from the break i want to talk a little bit about the sacred blood in heaven and in the book of revelation because i think that's all throughout like you said earlier in the show from genesis all the way to revelation talks about the precious blood so this is what we'd like to do and also i want to remind everybody to go to catholic convert.com not only will you find out about steve ray's pilgrimages all around the world but i think his resources on apologetics articles that he writes steve why don't you take a second just to tell us what's there for discounts for people to purchase books and recordings yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff for on sale uh, 
you know, people don't buy DVDs and no. uh, CDs anymore, no. much anymore, but we have a lot of those on and they're, they're inexpensive now. But I have probably 40 or 50 different talks on there. Defending the Eucharist is the mass of sacrifice, a lot of things about Mary and yeah. the papacy and so on. And, but also um, that's on my store. On my website, Catholic Convert, there's one they call products. You go there and it opens up the store. And my granddaughter, Bella, handles all of that. She has all the warehouse in her house in <laughs> Illinois. And if you make an order, a guy bought my book, Crossing the Tiber today, called me and said, your granddaughter already shipped it to me. So that that's how that works. But also on my website, if you go to resources up on the top, I have hundreds of articles that I've written. That's the one. How to, how to argue the bat, I mean, letters that I wrote to Baptist pastors back in the early days, defending the Eucharist, defending all of these things, charts. Uh, it's There's uh, hundreds of different documents and hundreds of conversion stories that you can read. Plus, if you go to the pilgrimage, it takes you to all the pilgrimages that we have coming up. And at the pilgrimages, I give talks at all the sites. I That's mean, right. you've been with me, you Absolutely. know it. Yep. In fact, I talk about the Eucharist at Capernaum, where Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I give that talk there. I've given it a hundred times in Capernaum. Hey, Steve, just a quick note. You took people to Lanciano, Italy, correct? Yes. The Miracle of the Holy Eucharist. And that's another place that you should check out. That is a fantastic example of a Eucharistic miracle. Yep. We're going there next October and in 2025. We're Excellent. going to be going to Lanciano. Stay with us, family. When we come back, we're going to talk about the sacred blood in heaven and in the book of Revelation. My guest, Steve Ray, CatholicConvert.com. Stay with us when we come back. We'll inspire you to have a deeper love for Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Jesse's out today, my good friend Steve Ray. Steve, i got to thank you over the years. I just want to make a public statement. And I say this to you not because of the way you part your hair. It's because you're a good friend of our Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I've, I've known you for a couple decades, and uh, everything you do is about the love of Christ and his church and promoting the faith. And I want to just say thank you for saying yes to Jesus and all the times that you've been saying it on a daily basis, because it doesn't happen without a daily basis of, of responding to the graces God's given to you. So publicly, I just want to say thank you for your ministry, well, brother. Thank you for your ministry. And I, I when I was talking with Gary Mashuda on his show yeah. recently, we talked about the, the rainbow. Oh, yeah. And I was able to say things on your station that I am not able to say on other stations. True. And uh, that's why I think people are loyal to you and what you do, because uh, you're able to say things. Mm -hmm and discuss issues that maybe others would, would hesitate to do. But uh, God bless well, you for that. Well, thank you. And I also want to say thank you for Bishop Strickland Hour because he's America's bishop. He's the man that says things that uh, many other bishops will not say. And I just think he's courageous because he has one thing that he wants to promote. He says that anytime the, tr the truth is being violated, I'm going to speak up for the truth. And I appreciate his um, frankness and his... Yep. His courage in speaking the truth yep. and charity. All right, let's get to the uh, sacred... Book of Revelation. Yeah, Book of Revelation. Now, you'd think that the blood is all in the Old Testament, all these sacrifices and animals, right. but in the Book of Revelation, the word blood is used 19 times mm -hmm. in 22 chapters. 
And so you've got uh, a lot of mention of blood. I'll just mention one of them here. Yeah. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open it for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people from for God. Mm -hmm. And they cried out saying, oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge the blood of those who are on the earth? So it's not only Christ's blood, but also he's going to avenge the blood of the martyrs. And uh, I like this one that the that the those who conquered in the end and they conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony of confessing Christ and uh, they love not their lives unto death. They shed wow. their blood for Christ. Now, another thing that is interesting because it's usually there was the lamb yeah. that was the blood was shed from a lamb, the Passover lamb. Mm -hmm. People don't realize this, but if I were to ask what is the number one title or name description of Jesus in the book of Revelation, somebody might say, well, he's the Lion of Judah because he's come from the Lion. Only one time he's called Lion of Judah. Right. 30 times lamb. he's referred to as the Lamb. Of course, Lamb of God. 30 times. That's the number one title of Jesus yep. in the book of Revelation. Great point, Steve. Continue. This is good stuff. So that, that's, uh, that's the book of Revelation. So that is all about blood. There has a lot to do with blood there. So it's... Um, and, and here's an interesting one, too. Tell me. These are the ones who came out of the Great Tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Right. Now, if you took a white robe, if you took a robe and washed it in the blood of the Lamb, what color would it be? It would be red. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but but this, is, this is interesting because you wash your robes in the blood, the red blood, and it turns them white. Why? Because white represents purity, sinlessness, holiness, and the blood removes all of that and sanctifies us in Christ. So the, even though the robes are washed with red blood, they become white, the white of holiness and sinlessness. Yes. Steve, I want to just mention something that I know you wrote a book on the Gospel of John, uh, but this week that we had, uh, this past week in the readings of Matthew that we're in right now, one of the gospel readings, I think it's Matthew 6, talks about the road to hell is wide, and the road yep. to heaven is, is, is thin, so to speak. Narrow. And, narrow, that's the word, the narrow. And I want to just ask you to talk a little bit, because I think some of us have been misled by this impression that we have universal salvation, that everybody's just going to be washed in the blood of Christ, and we go straight to heaven, and... Uh, End of story. So it doesn't really matter how sinful I am because whatever I do, because of Martin Luther's comment about it's like dung and I snow, you know, I can I can sin all the more and still be saved. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you come from a, a convert perspective. I'd like you to tell us, get us straight on that, please. Well, yeah, the, the evangelical world I came from believed in hell and that was eternal damnation. Yeah. Um, there is universal salvation, but not the way it's being promoted today <laughs> that in the end everybody's going to be saved. The universal salvation really means that it's universally available to everybody. Right. Jesus has made his salvation available. Whoever wills may come. If you want to be saved, you want to be redeemed, come to Christ and you'll have it. He's purchased your salvation, but you have to accept that. You have to be appropriate that for yourself. And so, but the, the, there is no such thing. I think Ralph Martin does a good job on this in his book, who is, who will be saved. Fantastic book. Yep. And he, he just says it today. People say, well, God is a loving God. He would never make some eternity <laughs> is a long time to suffer. And, but you know, this is a choice people make. And 
believe me, evangelical Protestants, they may be shifting on this now, but um, the the tradition we came from, hell was real and it was forever and it was a problem and you better not, and you better avoid it. In fact, we would preach sometimes and say, if no other reason to get saved is to avoid going to hell. Right. Well, and that was Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 to 12 and 14 uh, is what I was referring to, where it says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate yep. is wide and the road broad and leads to destruction, and those who enter through it are many. How narrow the gate and constricted the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That gives me the impression, Steve, and I'm just giving you know God's word, that uh, not everybody's going to heaven like a lot of people think. I agree, and I think we'll be surprised sometimes by who's in heaven and who's not. There you go. And, uh, but you're, you're, you're correct. When Jesus says it that way, um, the church has never, the no. church has declared Not people individual. to be in heaven as saints, no. but it has never Not. declared That's that right. someone is in hell. And that is a big distinction. But that doesn't mean that the church says no one is in hell. That's a whole different matter. By the way, you mentioned my books. My new book on Genesis Tell is us about on it. the way to me right now. Ignatius is just stocking Good. their warehouse with it. Good. It's a 500-page book on Genesis. Oh, no. And it reads like a novel. It okay. really reads like a novel, but it brings out all the background and all the interest. It's the most important book of the Bible. Of course you know, it because is. Because it tells the foundations of everything. So anyway, that's it. Can I, I end this with a quote? It's kind of based on the book of Revelation. Absolutely. Talking about the blood. Because I know we've probably got one minute left. Actually, you know what, Steve? From what they're telling me, we had a little bit of a delay. I think we got three and a half minutes, brother. Okay, well, I'm going to read this. Anyway, Heaven's Finale, it's called. Okay. Holy Church transports transports us to the end the heavenly liturgy is in progress upon the altar is the lamb slain yet alive crimsoned by his own blood round about stand the countless army of the redeemed in garments washed white in the blood of the lamb hosts of the blessed are singing the new canticle of redemption you have redeemed us out of every tribe and nation language and tongue by your blood that's, that's a beautiful, the, yeah. That's the chant of heaven. Wow. As wow. The, this whole age that we're in, this age comes to an end eventually. That's the song that we'll be singing in heaven. Steve, we just got a couple minutes. I want to encourage people to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And I want to ask you a question. We know we have scandal inside the church. There's always been scandal from day one. Uh, but... What, rec what recommendations would you give our listenership to stay focused on Jesus Christ? Well, that the, the church is not about the Pope. Nope. And the church is not about the bishops. Nope. They're there to give the church a physical structure. Right. We need the physical structure or it's an amorphous. It's, there's no boundaries to it. But we have been given a Pope and bishops to set that to give it a physical structure however it's not about the pope and it's not about the bishops actually they're there to administer it and to protect it and some do better than others and some have done very poorly but the church is about jesus christ and i am a christian and a catholic today yes because it's it's jesus's church he said i will build my church he didn't say peter was going to build his church he didn't say the bishops are going to build his church he right. said i will build my church and if it's his church, that's where I want to be. And I said to my wife when we became Catholics, even if the church were perfect, as soon as I join it, it's not going to be perfect anymore. 
because I know me. Of course. It's now going to be imperfect. All of us have our sins. That's Some right. wear them out more openly than others. And But one thing that I think the church should be is those who really want to follow Christ and obey. Yeah. And not like these politicians and other that think they can flaunt the, uh, the whole pro-life, you know, the b- yeah. abortion and all this stuff and the LGBT and transgender stuff and still say they're good Catholics. You can't do that. That doesn't work. You can't do both. You're either one or the other. Call yourself a Catholic. I always say that painting stripes on a cow d- doesn't make it a zebra. <laughs> and so, but I'm a Catholic because it's Jesus's church. Amen. And I love his church. And imagine we're the bride of Christ, okay? He loves us with a passion. He loves his bride, enough to shed his blood for his bride. And we couldn't spend our whole life pointing out all the problems, but can you imagine if at the wedding, the bride's coming up the aisle and all the people there who have been invited are saying, oh, look at, she's gained 20 pounds and look at that pimple on her (laughs) nose and she's not so good looking after. Do you think he's gonna be pleased? He loves that bride coming up the aisle. We ought to be much more careful how we speak about the church because it's the bride of Christ and he's madly and passionately in love with his bride. And therefore we have to be, we we can point out issues, but it always has to be done out of love for the church. I want to recommend a book from Ignatius called The Ratzinger Report, published way back in 1985. And I think it's very good because how you see the church as really uh, helpful, do you see the, the Catholic Church as the bride of Christ, which we should, or is it the optimist club? And unfortunately, some people think it's just an institution made by man rather than coming from Jesus Christ. And you wrote the book on, on Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, 16, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He said it that way. And so we do have a church that was started by Jesus Christ. We are unique in that way. No other church can say that. And Steve, can people buy your your book on your website? Oh, yeah. The, the book on Genesis will be here soon. It's Good. on the way. Okay. But my book on Peter and yeah, my all of them there. Story, they're all on my website, yeah. catholicconvert.com. I would recommend anything by Steve Ray. Buy the book. Share it with your children and your grandchildren because it could be instrumental in keeping them in love with Jesus Christ. And the movies. Christ. The movies are Oh, all the videos the are great. Have fun with the movies. Oh, yeah. The Holy Land, everything. It's so good. Some people are bookworms. Some people are tapeworms. So whatever it takes, go to <laughs> catholicconvert.com and enjoy the catechesis that you'll get from Steve Ray's material that he's been doing for decades now. Steve, I want to thank you for taking the time here with us on the Terry and Jesse show. And I just want to thank God for your work and for the time that you've spent in in introducing people to the person of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you. And you as well, Terry. God bless you. God love you too. Folks, we want you to know you can listen to any of these podcasts later by going to vmpr.org. Get the app, the free app. You can listen to all of our shows. May God richly bless you and you.